This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, and uh, this is a fun show. I really, really enjoyed this, and uh, hopefully takes you into the uh, holiday season and the new year. Ryan Clark is an ESPN NFL analyst, a former NFL safety, as certainly Steelers fans know. He's worked at ESPN since 2015. He now regularly appears on NFL Live, Get Up. And the Monday Night Football Postgame Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. He's got a podcast, DC and RC, with Daniel Cormier. They talk about MMA storylines and cards. Also has his own podcast series. It's called Face First, podcast digital series where he interviews uh, former players, current athletes, uh, people in the sports world. Again, this is one of his. Uh, you know, this is a this is a piece of material, piece of content that he owns. Ryan Clark was great. We talked about just basically what it's like what it's been like for him to transition from playing football to ESPN, how he's approached the business. And I think he's just a really, really interesting guy. Um, and you'll enjoy his story. Uh, talk about sort of how he looked at negotiating with ESPN for his most recent contract. His answer on Urban Meyer was just incredibly blunt about how someone like Urban Meyer bullshits his way into the NFL. And so I really enjoyed this interview. He's a smart guy. Ryan Clark is first. And then the second guest, Patrick Antonetti. Look at that, our uh, the podcast producer for this uh, podcast. And Patrick takes you behind the scenes in terms of how he does his job, how he puts this podcast together. And then we get into a little bit of uh, sports talk about the, uh, the New York team. Patrick is a Mets, Jets, Devils, and Nets fan. And so we get into a little bit about just if you're from that area, usually you, you sort of uh, you're aligned with certain teams uh, in certain sports, uh, depending on who your teams are. So that that was interesting. But Patrick's done an amazing job on this podcast, and it was great to sort of take go behind the scenes with him. So Ryan Clark first, followed by Patrick Antonetti coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, uh, Ryan Clark is an NFL analyst who joined ESPN in February 2015 on the day he retired from professional football. In fact, although he, uh, as we'll get into, he did have a little bit of ESPN reps uh, prior to him retiring from the NFL. He regularly appears on NFL Live, Get Up. He's on the Monday Night Football Postgame Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. His podcast, DC and RC, features uh, UFC icon Daniel Cormier as they discuss MMA storylines and cards. 
boy, Ryan, this this resume is long. He also has his own uh, face first podcast digital series where he discusses life uh, with the helmet off. He's interviewing former players, current athletes, agents, and so in addition to obviously his ESPN work, um, he's he's got his own. Um, He's got his own media stuff that he owns. Uh, Ryan Clark, of course, played 13 NFL seasons uh, and won, uh, was part of a Super Bowl uh, and two AFC championships. And I'm pleased to be joined by Ryan Clark. Ryan, thanks. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Oh, man, that took a long time. You know, you could have just been like, I got some turd named Ryan on the line. Let's go. Yeah, I've had cleaner intros too, Ryan. But that's what happens when you have like a long resume like yours. It just like it's 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 tough to to make. No, nah, well, what what I do know is is you know is my, my my marketing director Ashley Smith. She she wants to get all that stuff read. I'm kind of a little bit more boring um, and less interested in all that. So, but I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, trust me. With Ashley Smith, my p- producer Patrick and I, we've talked to Ashley Smith probably more than we've talked to our family in the last forty hours. So she's she's on the ball. Let me let me tell you that. All right. So Ryan, I re- let's start here. I remember you making appearances on ESPN in 2013 and 2014, and then doing a little bit of research for this interview. Uh, you were on ESPN in 2009. I think you did a couple of. Uh, the first takes or, you know, what they call the car wash there when current athletes go in and, and talk. At the same time, you were in Pittsburgh. You were working. You did some television. And you also were part of Pittsburgh-based sports radio, 93.7 The Fan. So you are, you are an athlete who really, to me, like, at some point in your professional career, you had a blueprint that, like, I- I'm going to get some experience as a pro athlete and eventually head into broadcasting full-time when my athletic career was over so let's start here I just wanted to get some insight like at a certain point in your 20s did you sort of know like this is what you wanted to do how did that come about um I think you start you get opportunities to to do certain things you know when when you give interviews in a certain way or when people find you entertaining off the field then obviously local you know radio stations and different tv shows give you opportunities to kind of use your star in the area to help promote their shows. But also that's how you kind of get the reps and they want to use active players. They want to feel like they have an opportunity or they have access to the locker room mentality at the time. And so even if you kind of suck, they'll let you do it. You know, like you can stink and they feel like the people who actually do the TV, actually do the radio can kind of handle that part. And so I would do, you know, some of those things. And when you do them, you obviously aren't great at it, but people look at you from the prism of being an active player. They know that's not your job. And so if they see if they see a little bit in you, you know, people will say, hey, man, when you retire, maybe you can do this or do that. And, you know, I graduated from the Manship School of Mass Communications at LSU. You know, so I'd, I'd had some reps and I'd had some opportunities doing some things. And, uh, you know, I got sick in Denver and I started my own uh, foundation. Uh, to promote sickle cell awareness, to, you know, raise money for sickle cell research. And I got an opportunity to go on what was then cold pizza. And, uh, you know, we talked and, you know, when it became first take, I asked, I was like, hey, you know, maybe I could um, come debate Skip one time. I got an opportunity to do that. Uh, Skip said some really nice things about me after the meeting, said how prepared I was, how engaged I was. Um, and, you know, so I got invited back a few times and then I ended up being the first active football player to have a TV contract, you know, during his playing career. Ryan, one of the things that, um, 
that's always interesting to me is, and I think you were able to do this as a player, and I just want to get your opinion on this. There's a real skill to being a current athlete, no matter what your sport is, and to interact with the media in a way where the media thinks that you are providing interesting insight and not just sort of, um, you know, run-of-the-mill platitudes or sort of on autopilot answering, while at the same time navigating where you're not necessarily going to put yourself in a jackpot with your professional organization. Like that, that has always been a fascinating line to me is if you're a current athlete who maybe want, who has media aspirations, how do you navigate sort of giving the media something a little bit different, but at the same time, obviously not jeopardizing, you know, what's going on in the locker room or the organization. And I feel like you were able to do that. So how is one able to do that? Because not every athlete can do that. I, I don't think you can think about it. I know I didn't think about it. I wasn't I wasn't doing interviews and and saying to myself, I want to use these interviews to set up my post football career. You know, I was doing those interviews as myself and and, and doing them as as who you are. Um, you protect the things that are priorities, obviously protecting my team, uh, protecting my teammates, my coaches and myself was first. You know, I was never I wasn't going to guarantee wins. I wasn't going to try to purposely give bulletin board material because I felt like the the media would would love it. I actually had, you know, kind of like an up and down relationship with the media. Um, you know, there were so many times where I think I, I offended people or I definitely had discussions with media, media about ways I was being portrayed or ways uh, that things I said was flipped because I did have at least some knowledge of, of how you can do the job, you know, and I had the reps and probably, you know, some in some situations that I would treat differently. I, I had confrontations with media, you know, like I remember telling the dude in the media at one point when, you know, he was kind of ridiculing me. And, and I was like, Hey man, I was like, I get it. You know, I was like, I do a job now you can't do. And I was like, and at some point I'm going to be better than you at your job. That is something I regret saying. It was the truth, you know. It was the truth, and it was it was a a a discussion between between two two men. But you know, now looking back on it, I wish I wasn't that. Uh, you know, I had some times where you know there was a story written about me during the Antonio Brown thing, kind of when everything came up, and the guy was like saying I was right from the beginning about Antonio Brown. But in explaining who I was, he was basically like tearing me down. You know, he said, you know, when I first got there, I was like fun and could even be like, it's like he could even be insightful, or could even be interesting. You know, as it went on, you know, he turned into this. And it's not that you turn into anything, it's that when you start to develop a knowledge of what people are doing, right? And you also start to develop a knowledge of the lack of experience or experiences they've had doing what you do, you view their words differently. And I think what makes me good at my job now and probably what made me annoying to people doing the job then is I'm not scared to call BS when I see it, or I'm not scared to say what the facts are. And a lot of times people don't like being corrected. People don't like being challenged. And I'm like, F that, you know what I'm saying? Like you bleed like me. If you do something stupid, I'm going to say it's stupid. That's, it's, it's interesting insight. I appreciate that. You, um, you've now been in the business full time, Six years or so. Let's sort of use the when you sort of signed with ESPN the first time as sort of that date. You've seen obviously um, a ton of uh, of former athletes or coaches 
uh, come through the ESPNs and the Foxes and the NBCs. Some have been successful. Others are basically done in, in a year or two. Do you have a sense now as to what separates long-term success in sports broadcasting, particularly for a former coach or athlete, versus somebody who maybe is a one contract and done player? Um, I, I just think, um, I think, I think initially, uh, the the name is what gets you an opportunity. I don't believe that these executives always think that we are all very good, um, but they've done it long enough to also know who can continue to develop. But it's on you to get better. It's on you to develop. Um, I look back early on in my career when people would say, you know, they thought I had an opportunity to make this a good career. And I look back and I hear some of the things I said or watch some of my uh, my segments. And I'm like, I have no idea how anybody could look at that and think I'd be good. Cause that sucked, you know? And so, and so, and so, so like, even now when, when people start, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't critique them harshly because it's a difficult job to get comfortable in. You know, it's, it's a difficult job to be yourself in. And I think that's what, I think that authenticity is kind of what allows guys to be here. Um, you have to be you. Like I can't out Lewis Riddick, Lewis Riddick. You know, uh, I don't have his upbringing. I don't have his experiences, his life. Um, I'm not his personality type. So I can't go on TV and try to be that. Um, when I initially started, I was like, I'm just going to show people I'm just smart as hell. And so I just studied and studied and studied and got the numbers and did all those things. But it took so much of my personality from it. And so I had to learn how to be able to do all of that studying and then still be Ryan Clark. And I think once you once you kind of find your voice in it, and you're willing to continue working, you're willing to take constructive criticism from those who understand the business. I think that's how you have longevity. Um, but I can't say that I can pick out people who will, because, you know, there are some people in this business who I think are really good, who don't get the big jobs, who don't get the huge contracts. And there are some people who I think stink that obviously people love because they get paid. And so I think it's also about relationships. It's about who likes you. And if the right people like you, then, you know, you get opportunities uh, that other people don't. If they if you don't develop those relationships, then it's a little bit harder for you. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, again, I haven't covered this for a long time. Uh, the reality is there's a lot of politics involved in sort of who gets opportunities, who ultimately uh, moves up, who, um, you know, what management person um who has some juice in the company, if they like you, if they don't like you, there's all these factors right. that exist there. The um, You re-signed with ESPN uh, earlier this year, and I wonder, and I think our my listeners would be interested in this, it's not, it's not a question I've, uh, I've asked a ton, I probably should ask more a little bit, especially those guests who have been former pros like yourself. Are there any similarities between negotiating with a broadcast company like ESPN and uh, negotiating with a professional football team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and if so, what's what's similar? It's not what's not similar. Um, it, it's similar in the fact that it's you know you, you're trying to get an amount of money based on the talent and the value you believe that you bring. Uh, you know, it's similar in the fact that in explaining or in negotiating, you have to speak about what you have done what you are doing and what you're capable of doing. Obviously it's a little easier to project that you're capable of keeping up the same type of workload, keeping up the same type of excellence in TV that is football because football, you get older, 
right? And you have injuries and things happen. So I think it's an easier negotiation. I also think it's not as wide range of, of money involved, you know? Um, but you also don't get the opportunity to compare yourself to your contemporaries. You know, I can't say, well, I could get, I should get paid as much as Antro Rolls, who was also a free agent in this year. You know, he started this many games. I started this many games. It's like, you don't have that opportunity to compare. I could also say for me, it's a lot less stressful of, of a negotiation because my emotions aren't as tied to it. You know, when all you've ever done is play football since you were four years old and you feel like you've given a certain thing to football or to an organization, you want to be valued in a certain way. And the way they show you that value is about the way they communicate with you in negotiations. And so when you are hearing most of, of, of why you can't get a certain amount of money, it hurts, you know, uh, when the people you're talking to, especially if you're talking to your team, are the same people who ask you to do certain things each and every week, the same people who compliment you, the same people who build you up for all those things that you've done. But then when it gets time to the money, it's okay, here are the reasons why we can't do such and such. And so I think, you know, that part is the huge difference in it. Um, and it's obviously just about proving your worth, proving your future worth and making other people see that value. Uh, but from the sense of how much it matters, it certainly mattered more when it was a football negotiation. The New York Post reported that you were close to uh, leaving ESPN for Fox during these negotiations. One, is that accurate? And then two, what ultimately was the reason that you decided to stay at the place you've been at for the last couple of years? <laughs> it's very accurate. Um, that was that was the, the the first option. That was, you know, actually, you know, talk to them a little bit more than ESPN, at least right up until the end. Um, I think money is always involved, right? Money is always yep. involved. And to to leave a place you're comfortable to go do something else, like it has to be worth it, you know? Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say with the money being close, having to sell a house, having to work 140 more days for very similar money and move to LA, that didn't make much sense to me. And so I think that that, that part of it is was huge. Um, and then I'd also have to feel like, okay, if the money is going to be similar and you're going to have to take some, some losses in that, does the job and does the, does the visibility of the job enhance your brand and career to the point where that eventually turns into success monetarily and also success in the business? And, you know, and, and looking at it and, and what I would have been offered there and had an opportunity to do, at least the things that were guaranteed, I didn't think the visibility put me in a place where you could overlook, you know, the similarities in contract. One of the things that's interesting about what you're doing now with your face first podcast, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. So obviously I'm making the assumption here is that this is your production, yes. you know, whether you have a production company, but it's your production. It's your, it's your, you own this, you own this content. Yes. And I think what you've seen clearly is from, um, those who own their content in some ways really uh, can control in many ways, Ryan, their own destiny. It's certainly potentially more lucrative. It's uh, It could be creatively fulfilling in that sort of you get to take a conversation in the direction 
you're going. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. Like, I think it's really smart to have an employer such as a ESPN, like a legacy type employer, where you can obviously make a certain amount of money, but then have the ability to do these additional things where you own your content and see how big that can become. Was that your sort of thought process? Is I got, I have ESPN and this gives me some, uh, you know, significant visibility. It obviously gives me a, a pretty good paycheck. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to develop this other thing because who knows where this is my thing and who knows where it could go. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of like layered. You know what I mean? It's like an onion or a parfait, depending on which one you like more. Um, <laughs> um, like so. Initially, this is I don't love TV. All right, like uh, Marcus Spears always messes with me because we had a conversation years ago at a spring game at LSU and he asked me what I wanted to do with TV. And I was like, Oh, I don't know, man. I was like, I just really love sports. I really love getting an opportunity to talk them and they pay me. I was like, so I do it, you know, just being honest. Um, I was like, I don't want to touch football checks. And this allows me to do that. Um, he was like, well, I want to be a star. I was like, well, I don't, you know? And so, and it was, it's just truthful, but also yeah. too, though, um, I have, I have grown so many passions to be like a creator of change, you know, um, whether it's, you know, throughout the 2020 social justice movements and preparing uh, different rallies, different celebrations and being keynote speakers at um, at different marches. Like all those things were important to me, delivering uh, diversity um, surveys and delivering diversity um you know, uh, speeches to the athletic department here at LSU. Just, I, I love doing all of those things. And so it was a lot of times though, where it wasn't on that level of change, but it was just stuff I wanted to talk to talk about that. They didn't allow me to talk about because the, the news cycle didn't support it. The ratings didn't support it. And it was kind of driving me crazy to the point to where like face face first kind of just started as therapy, you know, and, and my wife is a huge podcast lady. And she's like, you should do a podcast. I think you'd be great at it. And honestly, like you could tell in the beginning, it wasn't about creating something that really was my own content. Because I was like, I'm kinda, I kind of suck at this. Because you're doing everything by yourself. You write it by yourself, right. you know. And so it's just, it's just kind of grown from there. You know, I met a guy that was a videographer. He was self-taught. And I own a training facility and this training program for DBs. He wanted to get some content we started having some conversations and i was like okay maybe i'll do a guest one time and you know you do a guest and it kind of works out it kind of doesn't like the guy i was working with uh his name's keon uh taylor he didn't really understand sound very well and so it was like it it sucked it sucked it sucked and and, you know and now it's it's getting better and now we're starting to develop and as things start to develop and get better now you look at okay i can own my own content another thing that i've wanted to do which obviously you're extremely good at is like, I want to be able to host and, and carry conversation and push, push conversation because you know this as well as I do as an analyst. And as a former player, they only see you one way, right? Like you don't, I can, I believe I can host a show. Like I can write some stuff in a teleprompter and read it. You know, I don't think that's, that's, I'm not saying that it's not a difficult job to do, because I believe it is a very difficult do- job to do it. And, and the logistics of it are different than my job. But I believe that I can do it. Obviously, ESPN isn't going to necessarily look at me and give me that chance. So sometimes you have to create your own things and your own lanes to show people that you have some versatility that they might not be 
uh, they might not find useful or they might not want to use you in that capacity. I had a conversation with John Saunders, uh, rest his soul, because um, like the black community is kind of different. Right. Um, and I talk about this all the time um, when you grow up and you don't have a ton or you don't feel like things are kind of stacked in your favor. You develop a huge sense of community and you develop a huge sense of responsibility to that community. And so when I did start at ESPN, whether it was Michael Wilbon, John Saunders, um, Stephen A. Smith, some of the guys who are very accomplished journalists, they would all pull me to the side and tell me the things they thought I had opportunity to do. And John Saunders told me, don't don't let them or don't allow them to make you a one dimensional NFL analyst because you can do so much more. And I felt like I was falling into that one dimensional spot and being able to have something like face first has allowed me to enjoy the business a little more, but also show some of the versatility, you know, that some of the OGs told me, you know, was possible for me. Uh, I want to ask you about, uh, by the way, thank you for the honesty there. Uh, cause a lot of people obviously are a little, uh, squeamish sometimes about talking about, uh, contractual stuff. But I, again, for a podcast like this, which is very much a process podcast, I think it educates people on how the business works. Um, your travel schedule, um, you know, the, this, this, you know, you're working for your money here. You know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, you're, you're, you do get up, which is based in New York. Um, you travel to DC to be on Van Pelt show on Monday night football. You then go to Connecticut to do the NFL, uh, live show. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and you're doing this, obviously you've done this in midst, uh, you know, a global pandemic, uh, the, the travel thing. Do you, I would imagine at some point, at some in some parts, Ryan, like creatively, it gives you a chance to see all the different sort of parts of the ESPN operation, three different operations in three different places. At the same time, like you're you're grinding here, right? It's it's not like you're just hanging out in in a New York studio and you come in for a couple hours and then you go back to your uh, penthouse apartment. Yeah, and like I think you know you got to under you just got to understand the business, understand the shows and the visibility. I mean, obviously, the the goal would be to get on a Sunday show, have an opportunity to be a part of what I think many people in our business as analysts see as kind of the pinnacle of doing what we do. But until then, you know, you have to work and you have to understand which shows get high visibility. You know, I do know that, you know, get up on Monday is going to be a big show because people want to see, you know, what we're going to say about the Sunday games, you know, first take, I do some guest appearances on there as well. I know that all the eyes are still on, Scott Van Pelt and ESPN because the game's on Monday night, you know, NFL live. Now, like I can say the NFL live thing was different in this sense. The way I see it is I, this is my opinion. I'm one of the best, I'm one of the best doing my job at NFL live. I mean, I mean, at ESPN, right. And so you have countdown, which is a set show, which is the executives of ESPN saying these, I feel like, cause this is a very important show. These are our most important people. NFL live used to rotate. You know what I mean? And so when it rotated, it was like nobody was really special because we were all the same. But what NFL Live says, you know what? We're going to have a crew. There's only going to be a certain there's going to be a certain amount of people that do this show um, daily. And people are going to know this is, you know, destination TV because we'll know who is on. And you pick those people and I'm not one of them. I got a problem with that. You know, and and, and whether my problem with it is a problem that I should have or not, I do. Because you're saying to me, 
that you got an opportunity to pick five people, including a host and Laura, that could do a show. And I'm not one of those five, but I'm also not one of the five that's good enough to do countdown. And on top of not being one of like those 10 people, I'm also I'm also not as good as the two people that do Monday night football. And to that, I say you got to be out of your effing mind. Right. And so the only way I even started doing uh, NFL Live in 2020, I was able to be on it because Dan Orlowski did Saturday games for college football and he had to travel and work on Friday. And the Friday show during the pandemic and, you know, during that time that we did from home ended up being, you know, the most unique NFL live of the week. And it was fun because it was just it's like that's just how I rock. Like I'm not going to come on here and be bored. But with my contract, my negotiations came up like that was part of my contract. I was like, nah, I was like, I got to have another day on NFL live. Like if you're going to tell the because you are signifying to the world, you think these people are really good at their job as it pertains to your company. And if I'm not a part of that, then that's a lie to the people. And if you don't believe that I'm good enough to be on it, then I can't be here. And so that was how it ended up being, you know, I ended up being on the Tuesday show, but obviously it adds travel, but it was just the, the point needed to be made. And if you go make the point now, you got to come through and, you know, and so I do the traveling. Uh, we do what I think is one of the best um, sports shows on TV uh, on Tuesdays with NFL Live with the entire crew there, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, that's it's that's a good show. You guys have good chemistry, and it's developed into a smart, um, a smart but fun, um, but fun look at the the NFL. Which uh, you know, sometimes uh, intellectualism and humor uh, that's a hard sort of uh, those are two hard things to combine sometimes. But I feel like for you guys have found a pretty nice formula on that. All right, a couple more things here. Let me read you as I said at the top some of the. Um, some of the things uh, you told me when um, when you first sort of joined ESPN and and or maybe a little bit before when you were sort of uh, getting a sense as to whether you wanted to do this. Uh, so this is an open quote here. I want longevity in the field, and to have longevity, you can't just be one of the rotating talking heads. Because if you are, when the next safety comes out with a good opinion, speaks well, and has knowledge of the game, then you are out of there. Look at Mike Mayock. He grinded and worked his way into that position to where at the NFL Network he is basically irreplaceable. Uh, Mike Mayock now, of course, the general manager of the Raiders. Um, you, you mentioned that you and your wife DVR'd everything you did on air at the time, and both of you guys would evaluate per- your performance. Uh, I want to see how I handle questions that I'm not prepared for, Clark said. For example, if Trey Wingo asked me something that did not come up in a production meeting, how do I react? Do I seem surprised? Am I able to give knowledgeable, educated responses to those questions? You have to be quick on your feet. Plus, I want to see how good or how terrible I look in my suit. Um, <laughs> real good. Uh, so what's really, what to me, again, what strikes me, I wonder, so really one of the things I wanted to ask you is, are you still doing that? Because I think at a certain point, um, and this is very hard for all of us. You know, you're in the business for a certain amount of time and you're probably not going to like listen to every one of your podcasts that you did that ha- as, as hard as you did in the beginning, or maybe you're not going to like, um, you're not going to go over every appearance that you have on TV to sort of see how you did or what you didn't do. But I, I, again, I remember you telling me that and it struck me like, all right, this guy has his wife, uh, like giving him what essentially is, uh, you know, like t- television consultancy, where people get paid a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Like they, they're they're professionals, as you know. They get paid a lot of money to evaluate how you look, how you sound, 
and what you're saying. And again, that always struck me because I just thought you were ahead of the curve on this kind of stuff. And this was you were not going to be a guy who goes in there and just trades on his name. You were going to literally try to to do the work. So, I, so I'm curious, are you still doing any of that kind of self-evaluation? Because I remember that struck me. I actually hate listening to myself now. Yeah, so, I think most people do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I now make myself puke a little bit in my own mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, so... So, so now it's, it's much, it's much different. Um, I can, I don't have to, to see it again to, to know how I feel about it, to know how I look, to, to understand my mannerisms, you know, that, that, that was very important to me at the time, you know, the, the relatability, how does it resonate? How does it translate from TV, uh, you know, to couch that, so I wanted to see those things. And now I kind of understand how to do that. What I evaluate myself now on is being able to, take my thoughts. And so now it's a lot of looking at my notes and then hearing what I'm saying. Because if you study as much film as I do, and you have these poignant things that you want to hit, you only get one opportunity to do it. And so that like a lot of times I'll finish a show or I'll finish a segment and I'm upset about it because I know I had some things that I thought really could have translated or really would have worked well for the viewer that I either got excited or I, I, or I forgot. And then truly my point is not going to touch home in the way that I wanted it to. And so some things I still watch, obviously everything I do my, on my own, the, the, the podcast stuff, I have to watch because I got to edit it and do all those things. And so, you know, I've really grown in that area, but I don't have to watch as much um, ESPN um, footage as I used to, because now I kind of understand it. Uh, I, I get it. And so it's been helpful to not have to watch uh, Get Up, Every single day, you're on it for two hours. <laughs> All right, final couple here. Uh, let me ask you like a an NFL question. I'll sort of use your expertise. I'm just going to be blunt here. How does a guy like Urban Meyer bullshit his way into the NFL? Um, one, he's white. No disrespect. Uh, no, I appreciate the honesty. You know, um, and and that that always helps. Like we we we've seen. You know, you can look at the the coaching changes in college right now and understand. You know the the retreadism um, of coaches. Uh, I think the other thing is too, people don't want to actually truly do the due diligence of hiring a new coach, right? Of, of hiring, of hiring a guy who is unproven, you know, um, you, not, not many people want to take the jump that a Les Snead takes on, on a Sean McVay, because, you know, for a lot of times those things don't work out. Whereas if you get a coach who's been a head coach before, who's been successful before you feel like they at least have a blueprint or a map that will allow you or allow them to have some success. Um, I think the other thing of it is too, is when a coach is highly successful as urban Meyer has consistently been, and his name is also that big. You think that name also lends credibility to the type of staff that he can get also the players wanting to be with them. I think, the other part uh, about Urban Meyer is, like most people, he's a con artist, right? And and it's it's very similar to dating women or dating men initially. Like, they're going to show you the best that they have. And, you know, Urban Meyer is not going to kick shot con and tell them to sign the effing checks, right? Urban Meyer is not going to tell shot con to please list for me the opportunities in life you've won as compared to mine. He's not going to do all those things. You don't find that junk out until later. You know, that's like when that's like when you move in and 
she stops, you know, using the bathroom before she comes to your house or you stop using the bathroom before they come to the house. And now they're sitting on the toilet with the door open. Right. You know what I'm saying? They got you then. And so and so that's what that's what happened with an Urban Meyer. I think the the sad part for me is um, a, a very regular, stupid guy like me said that was a bad idea when it happened. Right now, in most coaching situations, I can either tell you I can tell you if it's good, but I normally can't tell you if it's not going to work or if I think it's going to be awful. Right. Because a lot of these people are so successful, so, so, so successful at the job they had before. You expect them to be able to have success at their new job. I knew that he would suck. Um, when you look at the hiring of the straight coach from Iowa, you look at the um, opportunity given to Tim Tebow. You also realize he did understand and had no awareness of what he was doing at that position at the head coaching level. And then it just got worse and worse as it went on. Ryan, when um, one of the one of the things when you're a uh, when you're an analyst at an ESPN or a Fox Sports or uh, that might be the only two really because like in our linear world, there's really only two sort of twenty four seven sports channels and uh, NBC Sports Network's heading out. So there are going to be times when people like yourself say something. And like it gets picked up, it gets picked up either because, wow, that's a really interesting opinion or people think, Hey, Brian Clark said this, he's crazy. You got a lot of pickup when you compared Bill Belichick, uh, to God following <laughs> you know, the, so, uh, so bro, here's what the, was crazy though. Like I can go I could, ahead. So yeah. here's what's crazy. One that wasn't like, it wasn't my intention. Right. And you know how I tell you like, so, like, you know, I write my notes or whatever, do like outlines or have my points. That was not a point, right. bro. Like I wasn't going to say that, but I grew up in church. You know what I mean? Like my mom had it. Like I, I never saw Halloween because my mom would always make me go do trunk or treat at church. You know what I'm saying? And so like that was the type of like upbringing I had. And when I said he built the team in his image and likeness before I said, like I didn't have a plan to say it, but it was true. Like that, he built the team thinking to himself, OK, this is the way I need my teams to look. And when I said his image and likeness, it was bringing me back to like early Tom Brady teams. Right. But because I go to church so much and I went to church so much, thinking about image and likeness, it just popped in my head. Well, well, the only time anybody's ever said that or, or the only time that was used in the way something was built was in the Bible and God. And so I just said it that way because it's how I talk. Right. And I didn't know it was going to be like a big deal, bro. I was like, God, Lee, I'm not saying he's God, but he might be the God coach. You know what I mean? So it definitely it definitely didn't work out the way I expected it. <laughs> well, I listen, I, I'm certainly not offended by it. I would hope most reasonable, reasonable people are not. But the reason I brought that up is, like, do you ever hear from, in a situation like that, where it gets picked up and, uh, you know, the New York Post and other places run with it, you ever hear from your bosses to sort of be like, hey, Ryan, uh, you know, there's some third rail things that we have, you know, religion, race, politics, et cetera, you know, sort of just keep that in mind when you say something or, and this is what I hope, or, hey, man. One segment, one show, you get paid to give your opinion. Maybe it didn't come out as clean as you wanted. We move on. How does it work inside? I think they've just gotten used to me, bro. <laughs> and they don't really, they know that like it could be off the wall at some point. Um, no, nah, I don't get like, I don't get those calls anymore. Like the, the one time uh, I got a call, I got a text at this, from the Super Bowl. Wait, was it the Super Bowl? No, maybe the draft, but I was home. And um, I was coming on, like, I almost missed a segment. And I was like, yeah, man, I had Herbie get dressed, you know. I was around. I just had my white beat on. 
And I got a text like, hey, RC, don't use like white people, you know? Or like one time uh, I was quoting Kyrie. Remember when Kyrie was talking about KD and he was like, you know, I got to think to myself sometimes this mother effer could make the shot too. But he said the word, like, like, like I said, mother effer. And they said, okay, maybe don't say mother effer, say mother. You know what I mean? And so like, they'll tell me like diff different things like that. But as far as like any analogies I use or, you know, any, any stories I tell, they've been pretty cool about it. The only other call I ever got was in 2016 during preseason. I wore a Colin Kaepernick jersey on TV. And, you know, the it was on Mike and Mike uh, the week before. Mike Greenberg had wore Trevor Simeon jersey. And so I was like, oh, we could wear jerseys on this show. You know, I wanted to show my support uh, for what uh, Colin Kaepernick was doing at the time. And, and it wasn't even so much. Of, well, it was it was about the reason he was protesting, but it was also about the fact that he had the right to protest, period. Um, whether, whether you agreed with it or not. And I was probably off a set like maybe 20 seconds before I got that call that I wasn't supposed to do that and that I couldn't do that. You know, I asked you a simple question. I said, well, obviously you can wear jerseys on this show because Mike Greenberg wore a Trevor Simeon jersey. So I just thought that we could wear jerseys of people that we admire that play the game. Are you telling me that I cannot? And if you're telling me that I cannot, I need you to tell me why. And so, yeah, that's probably like the last call I got, you know, in that manner. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we could do a whole show on ESPN being a little bit too much of a reactive organization when it comes to allowing their people, again, this is just speaking for myself, to speak their own truths and what they believe in. But I want you to stay employed, Ryan, so I'm not going to go down that road. Thank you. Thank you, man. I, like, uh, I would love to. Uh, staying yeah, employed no, I, is... I, yeah, will be a good deal. We'll do that. We'll do. Yeah, make sure you do that. Do that podcast would be literally like two days after you sign the contract. The next one, and it's ironclad. <laughs> so you know they got to pay you out if anything goes bad. Right, right. I uh, so the so here's out. the last one for me. What you got? You've um again, you've established yourself uh into a really nice place at ESPN where you're on multiple shows. You're doing multiple things. You obviously have your own production efforts now, which I think is great. You got the podcast, obviously, in addition with. Um, Daniel Cormier and talking about MMA. What's next for you in terms of sports broadcasting? Because quite frankly, nothing really has to be next. I think you have an excellent career going. You could be doing this for a while, but are there other things in this business that you would like to do? And if so, what, what are they? Well, I think, I think everybody wants to, at least for me, um, everybody wants to be on a Sunday show. You know, I, I would love to be counted in that, in that, you know, walk of life that people say, okay, you're so good that they believe you belong to be seen in between every game that happens. I, I think, I thought they, I think that would be cool. Um, I would love to get a show that I host my own where it's, you know, it's my ideas, whether it's uh, a debate show to where, you know, you're the, the primary debater, or if it's a show that you co-host much like I do DC and RC, where you get an opportunity to not only set up topics and carry conversation, but also give your insights and, and opinions. And I think what's the craziest thing is uh, at some point, I'm probably going to, unless they give me one of these jobs, I'm probably just going to walk away and coach football. Um, and, you know, I would love to be a head coach somewhere. And from being a head coach, I love to be an athletic director somewhere. And so it's a lot of things, man, that, you know, I think about and I want to do. But as far as the business, I just want to keep putting out good work. I want to keep progressing. Uh, I want an opportunity to carry a show. I want an opportunity for a show to reflect my my thoughts, my personality, my upbringing, my experiences. 
And however that happens, it happens. But, you know, that would be uh, a goal of mine. Ryan Clark is an NFL analyst for ESPN. He regularly appears on NFL Live, Get Up, does the Monday Night Football Post Game Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. His podcast, DC and RC, is with Daniel Cormier. They discuss MMA storylines and cards. He also has his own podcast, Face First Podcast Digital Series, I should say. Check that out, where uh, he discusses, uh, well, he basically interviews all sorts of interesting people, former players, current athletes, uh, agents. That'll be one to watch. Ryan, I, I'm a, uh, I really admire what you've done with your career. And again, I made it a note to myself when I first talked to you, like this guy sort of thinks a little bit differently in terms of, of how to approach his career at a place like ESPN. So your success does not surprise me in the least, and I wish you nothing but uh, but more of that. Thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Oh, man, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for having me on. All right, as I said at the top, we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode, and that's to bring in my longtime producer, Patrick Antonetti, who uh, – is the real brains behind this operation. And I thought it would be interesting just to give people who listen to this podcast a little bit of the behind the scenes in terms of how it gets made, what Patrick does, you know, what he thinks a good podcast is. He, he certainly, um, I'm not the only podcast he does by any means. And so I bring in Patrick Antonetti. Patrick, your star turn is, is here. I hope you're prepared and ready. I'm ready. Thank you. All right, so here let, let's this is let's start here and, and very much like uh, a little bit of process and shop talk. How does this podcast get get made? What happens after um, after I conduct an interview or a conversation with somebody and then send the audio to you? Um. So yeah, um, I have the files. I have your file. You send me your file. I have the the guest files, or when you do the round table, I have each person isolated. I then import them into uh, editing software. And uh, we make the edits. We, I add the music. We, we you know, um, the, the intro music, the segue music, the outro music. And then we uh, mix it together. I mix it together. And then it gets uploaded into Apple and um, Odyssey and everywhere you listen. So how like again because this is obviously I don't do this you do this. So what are the challenges of editing a podcast? Like like do you did it take you a long time to learn whatever the software is to to ultimately edit? Is this an easy or hard podcast to edit compared to some of your other ones? When I first started learning we were using a different a different software. Well, the softwares are all they're all similar, but sometimes they all have different names, and and a lot of the plugins uh, call something different. So it's you have to just find them and and know where they are, and know which one is is similar to the ones you were you were using. It is well, your your podcasts are, are pretty easy to edit because you're such a great host and interviewer that you please Patrick make, relax. Seldom make mistakes. So there's not much editing. Okay, so like one of the things that's always interesting for me, like on on um on my end, is I know I say a lot of us. Like I I I use the word uh way too much. It's a little bit of a crutch, and I definitely say sort of too much. And you know, so um there were many many podcasts where I was like Patrick, just light edit this. Like don't worry about it. But I think even now I've said to you, like if you can catch some of these us, get them out. 
How, like when you're listening to audio, whether it's me or the other podcast that you work on, like, do you got, like, do, it strikes me that you really got to listen intently, right? Because you're, you're, you got to pick up sometimes little small things, right? That you might m- need to edit like a finite, like half second, quarter second, right? Yes. So sometimes you definitely have to have to zoom in on, on the audio wave and just find, find that breath and, and make the, make the edit there. And, and some of the shows, I mean, like some shows come out once a week, some shows come out every day. So, so it's hard to catch, it's hard to catch all of the ums. It really is, especially if, if something is such a quick turnaround, especially if it's the same day. It's, it's hard. One of the things that me and you have talked about, obviously off air, is um, like podcast length. And I'm one who sort of believes, like, I don't really believe in a set length. Like, as you know, from editing this podcast, sometimes it could be, uh, you know, 97 minutes, 100 minutes. There are others that have been 35, 40 minutes. I know a lot of times sort of the the industry thought is like, you really want to, you sort of, you don't want to go over 40, 45 minutes because you're asking the, you're asking the listener to do too much. At the same time, some of the most successful podcasters in history, you know, Rogan, Corolla, whoever, you know, those guys go forever. Um, and by the way, be clear, I'm certainly not comparing this podcast to theirs. Um, but from your perspective, Patrick, uh, as a producer, and again, um, I'll note to the people listening to this, uh, you know, Patrick's on a, he's produced a lot of podcasts, not just this one. Um, what, what are some of your findings? What do you think in terms of like what works for length? Um, I don't know. Do you think maybe certain subjects whether it's sports or news or something should go longer than others. How do you look at it when it comes to sort of length of a podcast? I think you're right. I think it does depends on the type of podcasts. I know, I think most of the podcasts I work on go between, I see the average, like, like under 60, but more than 30. But then if you have an interview and you're, you have a guest, you, uh, you don't want to cut it short. You don't want to stop in the middle of a story, especially if the guests have a long history and a good, and they tell good stories, you definitely want to get that across to the listener. And sometimes in something like that, you could go for 90 minutes. So I think, I do think each one, it just, you know, it's, it's, you have to just judge it each by itself. Now you do this podcast, which is a sports media podcast. You also do um, like a news and politics one right now, correct? Another cadence 13 one. Okay. Do you find, is it easier or harder to edit sports versus news or is it ultimately the same thing? Uh, I, I guess it's ultimately the it's ultimately the same thing. And why do you say that? Um, because it's it's talking. I mean, it's the same thing. They they talk, you talk. I mean, there's going to be hiccups along the way. People will want to rephrase what they say, or they want to make sure they they come across uh, as the most intelligent as they can, and they give a most precise answer. And and sometimes there's and even with the ums, like like you mentioned before, that's just natural. People say that when they're talking, but they don't want to hear it on the final edit. So I just I, I do find it similar. The um, the po- I th- I'm not sure ex- what the exact number is. Like this podcast now um, is in the actually I'll probably can look this up. I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but I think we're at like. We're at like uh, episode like 138 or something like that. Does this sound right? Around there, right? Let's see here as I'm talking as I'm talking to you, I'll call it up. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm way off. My bad. So we're gonna be at uh, episode 174 by the time uh, the year 2022 begins. You haven't edited all of those, but you've certainly edited a lot of them. 
Uh, are there any in particular that you liked, whether it was a certain guest or a certain conversation? I'd say one of the more popular ones we obviously did was Mike Golick, um, who was like super honest about his time at, uh, at ESPN. But what about from your, your perspective? I do love when you have on um, someone like that. Like Mike Golick was great just because he was the athlete and he has football stories and then he got into a different career and he, and I listened to him when he was on the radio. So it was great. It's great listening to that. I personally, I, I do love it when you have Jimmy Trainer on you guys, have good, <laughs> you guys have such great chemistry together. Um, and it's just fun, fun listening, fun listening to, uh, to you too. But I like when you have uh, Jamil Hill on often, she's great. And I, I, uh, I think one of the first ones I, I worked with you was uh, Bob Lee, and I, oh yeah, definitely um, right. love Bob, Bob Bob Lee. Respect his career. I watched him on ESPN. Bob Costas was another one. Yeah, a uh, big fan of Bob Costas. Uh, Ian Eagle and Mike Green. I, I definitely love that. That episode. was a fun one. Joe Bug. I, I and I actually I'm a big fan of Joe Bug. I know he gets a lot yeah. Of slack I, no, no. I think I think he's. Uh... I feel like he's won over more than uh, um, than not. All right, here's the question I really want to ask you. Okay. Uh, don't don't be shy here, Patrick. How how can this podcast be better? What can I do to make the podcast better? I mean, it's it's the structure is good. It's, it's your structure. I mean, I, I think we got to try to be a little more consistent with the with the release dates. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> yes, I agree. But, uh, uh, but I like it. I, I I like it. I like how you have like you do the interviews. Maybe you know once every couple of weeks, and then you do the roundtable. I like the baseball, the inside base, the one you did a couple of weeks ago with uh, Jason Stark. Like I, Brett Bridgerola, yeah, they were good. Definitely love to hear the insides of uh, what goes on with baseball free agency and and with the at that time the potential lockout and the access to the players. Like I definitely enjoy listening to stuff like that. All right, so so our listeners know Patrick. I, I'm pretty sure you are you're a Jets fan, right? I am a Jets fan, yeah. Mets fan Mets too. Mets fan too. I think you, okay. I have no idea what your hockey team is. Do you have a hockey? Devil. Team? I'm a Devils fan. Oh, all right. So that's kind of interesting. You know, actually, I think that you know when I was in New York, you're actually really like um, sort of the exact. Um, you know, the, not, it's not, I wouldn't call it a myth, but like you know, like growing up, there used to be like this sort of thought that like you're a Islanders, Mets, and Devils fan, or you're a Giants, Yankees, Rangers fan. And obviously, it wasn't always exact, right. but that was kind of always like the thought. So you are actually that, you know, like you are literally that Jets, Mets, Devils access. The Jets, I always thought like the Jets, Mets, Islanders also makes sense too, because they're, they're all sort of have some kind of history in Long Island. Where like the Giants, the Rangers, and the Yankees kind of feels like the establishment in New York. Do you buy that? Like that's no, my I definitely, sort of I thought on being a fan. I definitely agree with that because I always find it odd when I meet Mets Giant fans, and I to me that's very odd. The, I agree. The Giants are the Yankees of football, although the although yeah you know, they were, but yes, you know, I agree. But yeah, and I'm also a Nets fan. I guess it's the Jersey thing. I'm a I'm a, I've been a Nets fan. Uh. Since they went for, you stuck you stuck with the Nets even if they went, even though they went to Brooklyn. And I still follow I like them. Yeah, I still I haven't been to Brooklyn to a game. I do live in Jersey, but I do watch them every night when they're on. I try to watch them I, not as much as the Knicks, I, I. But I do watch them. Yeah, I was gonna say I like obviously like the Knicks in the '90s were like yeah. you know they sort of were the talk of the city. Yeah. Everybody loved them, but I kind of love those uh, Nets teams like the uh, 
when they went to the finals yeah. with um, you know, the Jason Kidd years, like that was such a fun team to like watch play. That was the year I had season tickets. I remember when they, oh, wow. when they got awesome. Jason Kidd, how exciting it was. And I m- might have been one of the early people who were like, this team's going to the finals. And I tried to get friends to get a package with me, and like no one was convinced. And I had one friend do it, and then we were like, so you're in the finals. And then I, I, I was actually there. The uh, I guess it was game five when the Lakers beat them the first. That's right. Yeah, because I think the second year I really thought they were going to beat San Antonio, but San Antonio. But I remember being there, and I grew up. A Ma- I, I love Magic Johnson, so and I was a big Laker fan as a kid. So it was it was great to see. Like I think Magic was on the court, and it was great to see like the Lakers, a team I I loved as a kid, win. Even though I rooted against them because I was a Nets fan. You know the other thing too about the like sort of growing up around New York and 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 being into sports is it's so different. Like when you leave New York and travel to the rest of the country, particularly the South and the like Southwest, where everybody essentially and the Midwest, I should say, where everybody has a college football team or a college basketball team. Like I will say when I was younger, like I, I did watch a lot of St. John's basketball. I thought they were interesting, but like, I wonder if uh, young people today, like if you're growing up in the New York, New Jersey area, like do you even have a college team? Uh, maybe Rutgers, but it's, you know what I mean? It's just such a pro town that college always feels like such a second class citizen. I, I agree. I, I'm not a big Rutgers fan. Um, I, I am an alumni of Seton Hall. So I watch Seton Hall basketball, and I feel they do get a, they don't get enough love. I think you're right. Like, I mean, yeah, you're a Seton Hall guy. That's you know, right. Yeah. Last week when they did beat Rutgers, uh, the Prudential Center seemed rocking, and and a lot of fans. But I, I I have been meeting people who are fans of Seton Hall basketball who are not alumni or employee. They're just fans. So that's that's always good to see. I, I but it's like. You know, a couple of years ago when they won the Big East, I went to a, a sporting goods store to buy a Big East champion T-shirt, and they had so many Rutgers stuff, and I was just <laughs> shocked that I couldn't get a Big East championship shirt at my local sporting goods store. I always like, here's the last thing I just like, this is just sort of something that uh, I wonder if uh, in the future, maybe it'll change, but like New York was is has such a history of being a basketball city. And, you know, there is obviously a lot of basketball talent, high school talent in in New York, although maybe the best players now play on like these AAU teams. But it just always struck me that like whether it was St. John's or Fordham or one of these schools should be like a top 10 school every year. And maybe some of it has to do with the conference they play in. But like, do you know what I mean? It just seems crazy to me that in New York City, uh, like like, it just seems crazy to me that there's not a tri-state area college that isn't like a consistent top 15, top 20 college basketball team. Every right. Year. I guess the closest is Villanova and that's why Philly. Right? Yeah. But that's Philly. Yeah. Though, I feel like I mean, that's, that's, yeah. You know, has been, been good the last couple of years and, and right they now, have. but, but you're right. It seems like as a conference, as a whole, they may be, they may have the most good teams, but they're not, uh, they're not, they're never a top. There's not a top 10 team in there. All right, Patrick, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, certainly happy holidays to you, Newars. I thank you for, uh, for all your hard work on this podcast. Is there anything else you want to, uh, you want to let listeners in on, uh, before we, uh, before we conclude for 2021 and hopefully, uh, 
Hopefully 2022 is better. Knock yeah. on wood. Hopefully, it can't be worse. Hopefully it gets better in the new year, and I'm looking forward to uh, to the new year and and see what it brings. I look forward to continue working with you, and I wish. I mean, I hope everybody has a happy holidays and a happy new year. All right, Pat's Patrick Antonetti, who uh, really uh, is again uh, the most important part of this podcast. Uh, every single week, the guy makes this thing sound. Uh, sound as good as it can be. Uh, and the reason why it's in your um, inbox or uh, not your inbox, but the reason why this thing appears at 3 a.m. Uh, whenever we publish, and I'll do a better job, Patrick, of uh, getting more consistent publishing dates. Uh, he is the reason why. That's that's why this podcast uh, happened. So, Patrick, publicly, thank you very much. Thank you. And, uh, and I'll see you in 2022. Thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Ryan Clark, who was great, and Patrick Antonetti. Uh, for all his hard work. If you like these kind of podcasts, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. Uh, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Podcast before this, we did the biggest sports stories of 2022. Our predictions could beat the Davidson, Jane McManus, and myself. Before that, Baseball round, baseball Writer Roundtable with Britt Giroli and Jason Stark. Uh, before that, Rebecca Lowe. We did Mike Breen and Ian Eagle together. That was awesome. Pam Oliver. Fox Sports came on and discussed her career. Chris Jericho, Robert Griffin III, Holly Rowe. There, uh, there should be a lot of stuff here. If you're a sports media fan that you like, head to the archives. Uh, some of the stuff holds up. I feel like a lot of it's evergreen, so hopefully you're checking it out no matter the time of year. Um, this is the last podcast for 2021. It has been, uh, it's been a shitty year. Let's just be blunt. So uh, I wish everybody a better 2022 for sure. And thank you for listening. I've been doing this podcast now for a long time, first at Sports Illustrated, uh, now on my own with, uh, with the Cadence folks. And so thanks for the support. Uh, I enjoy it, and it's, uh, it's nice that people still check it out after all these years. So thank you. Have a great and safe holiday season, and we'll see you back in 2022 on the Sports Media Podcast.